This episode is sponsored by my latest book, Blood Tingling Tales, Volume 4. Go to ManiacOnTheLoose.com slash books, or go to Amazon and search for Blood Tingling Tales. If you like scary stories, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories Podcast. (laughs) Sit back and relax. Keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times and enjoy the ride. The Secret Building I live in the middle of nowhere. I lived out this way for 25 years. I live in a little three-room shack that sits on an acre of property. It's not much, but I call it home. One has to drive five miles down a gravel road to get to my house. My home sits at the crossroads of that gravel road and a dirt road. I'm surrounded by forest and nothing else. Seriously, there's nothing out here. Well, except for the mysterious concrete building about three miles down the dirt road. It's like an old distressed concrete cube. There are doors, but no windows. There's a huge cylindrical antenna on top of the building that I suppose used to rotate back in the day. Now it just sits there looking ugly. The entire structure is surrounded by a chain-link fence that has strands of barbed wire at the top. The strange building was there long before I moved to these parts, and it sat there empty until six years ago. I don't see many folks driving around this area, so when I saw an army jeep drive down the dirt road followed by another, and another, and another, It was quite a sight, and that was just the beginning. All kinds of government-issued vehicles came out that day. Cargo trucks, dump trucks, tractors. At first I thought the old building down the road was being torn down, but that wouldn't require such a force. No, it was clear to me that that building was being revitalized. It was days later when two men in suits and sunglasses had the courage to disregard my trespassers will be shot sign and step onto my porch. The men were cordial, a little boring but cordial. I appreciated the fact that they got right to the point. They offered me $30,000 for my place. (laughs) Well, I just laughed in their faces. 30000 Thanks for the humor, boys. They countered that the price they offered was market value, and they were right. But where was I going to go? What kind of home would $30,000 buy me? Not much. Certainly nothing out in the beautiful country like this place. I told them it would take a hell of a lot more than 30000 to get me off this property. 
I may be 70 years old, but I have plenty of spunk. I figure I have at least another decade on this planet. I want my final years to be joyous, and that's what my current residence provides. The men said they would speak to their superiors about a higher offer. Over the next two years, the vehicles kept coming and going. Concrete trucks by the dozen. Busloads of laborers. All sorts of heavy lifting equipment. They were doing something serious down at the end of the dirt road. Two years later, the men in the suits came back. Clearly, they worked for the government if it took them two years to come back with a counteroffer. 50,000. <laughs> I laughed again. <laughs> 50,000? You must be out of your cotton-picking mind. Where am I going to find a nicer place than what I have for 50,000? Go away and don't come back until you're serious. During the next two years, these types of vehicles that drove up and down the road changed. Apparently the construction phase had been completed and all those heavy manufacturing vehicles were replaced by a lot of white and black vans and occasional buses. But these were not like the rundown buses they had been bringing the labor workers in. These were new and fancy. There were also a lot of military vehicles, jeeps, cargo trucks, and such. Sometimes they would be hauling items, but whatever they were hauling was always covered. My impression was they were still in the setup phase of whatever the hell it was they were doing out there. And sure enough, two years later, the traffic died down considerably, as if they had completed another phase of whatever they were doing. Coincidentally or not, that's about the same time the two men paid me another visit and made me another offer. This time they offered 60000 I let out a sigh. The typical slow leak of government inefficiency. Two more years to produce another dud offer. Fellas, let me just save us all some time. If you want my property... I'll take $100,000 for it, not a penny less. If your higher-ups will agree to that, the place is all yours. Otherwise, go away. Over the past two years, that building down the dirt road has been functional. I know this due to several strange occurrences that I have experienced. For starters, there's always a blue dome-like haze over the tree line in the distance, just about where that building is. Some nights I'm woken up by a low reverberating hum. It's not the sound that wakes me up, it's the vibration I can feel through my body. It's so peculiar. Last year my place was infested with rats. Even though I live out in the wilderness, I have never had a rat in my house. To suddenly have dozens wandering through my house was bizarre. I'm positive they all came from that building. These were probably research rats that escaped. I bought a boatload of rat traps. Humane rat traps. The catch and release kind. I like animals. I couldn't bring myself to hurt any critters. I bought about 10 rat traps. 
I put some food in the cages that would lure the rats up an easy access ramp. The ramp would lead them into the cage and then shut behind the rats once they entered the cage. I put the traps all around my house. The next morning I got up to see that the food was gone from every single trap. Upon closer inspection, the cage doors that I would open to release the rats were all raised. It were as though the rats went in, ate the food, and then someone set them free. The next night I put up a motion-activated field camera in my kitchen and set the traps out again. Once again the food was gone, the doors were raised, and the cages were empty. I immediately checked the field camera to see what happened. Sure enough, the rats were finding their way inside the traps and were eating the food. I sat in shock when I saw how they were escaping. The cage doors were all rising up on their own. I couldn't explain it. It was as though some invisible force was lifting the cage doors and letting the rats out. Things continued to get more weird after that. I was on my porch listening to the crickets chirping when suddenly the night was filled with the distant howling and barking of dogs. The sound was coming from the secret building down the road, no doubt. The ruckus continued until I heard a myriad of guns firing and then the dogs' howls fell silent. Were they killing dogs up there? The next night I saw a large semi-truck driving down the road. It looked like a chicken truck, the kind they cram live chickens into for transport. Except it wasn't chickens I heard. It was the wail of babies crying. Human babies. There was no mistake in it, I must have heard a dozen babies crying in unison as the truck passed by my house. What were they doing with all those babies? At this point, I decided I needed to take a closer look at what exactly was happening at the secret building down the dirt road. I know these woods like the back of my hand. I took my all-terrain vehicle through the woods until I got close to the facility. At that point, I got off and quietly approached by foot. When I emerged from the forest, I couldn't believe the sight before me. The old concrete structure was still there, but it was painted black, which made it nearly invisible at night. Next to the building were a series of medium-sized pyramid structures. Next to those was a field of massive antennas. They must have been 200 feet tall, and I could see balls of electricity sparking through the cables. That's when I heard the dogs barking again. A swarm of at least 50 dogs bolted out of an open door of the main building and raced to a chain-link fence that surrounded everything. Several of the dogs began chewing on sections of the fence. As those dogs worked on tearing up the fence, the other dogs encircled them in a defensive posture, facing the troop of a dozen men in camouflage uniforms who emerged from the building with their rifles in the ready position. As the military personnel moved closer to the dogs, the dogs barked and howled. Their commotion grew louder as the lead man yelled out, Fire on three! 
The dogs were so loud that I could no longer hear the man calling out the numbers, but I could read his lips as he said, One, two. Before he could say three, all of the men were suddenly lifted up into the air by an unseen force. They began to shake violently in midair until they dropped their weapons. At that point, the men dropped to the ground and ran away. I watched on as the dogs finally chewed a hole in the fence big enough for them to escape through, and they all disappeared into the forest. I wasn't quite sure what I just witnessed, but I had to know more, so I scurried out of the cover of the woods, darted through the hole in the fence, and dashed into the main building. The front portion of the building looked like a basic office with an array of cubicles dominating the area, but the room was dark with the exception of a few buzzing, flickering overhead lights. In the distance, I could smell smoke. Something was wrong. I made my way through the office area and found a large cell door at the back of the room. There was a long corridor behind it and the cell door was ajar. There were various lights flickering inside that lit things enough for me to make my way down the corridor. At the end of the corridor, I found myself in a dimly lit room that was lined with cages upon cages. I could smell the musty scent of animals, but the cages were all open and empty. At the end of the corridor, I came across the first dead body. It was a man in a lab coat. He had been mauled to death. It appeared he had attempted to flee from the animals and had managed to open the steel door at the end of the corridor, but didn't make it through before he was killed. I walked through the door and found myself in a room about the size of a two-car garage. There was a hose with a nozzle on the end hanging on the wall. The room had the appearance of a giant shower with white porcelain walls. The floor was gently sloped toward the center, which was home to a large drain. This was some kind of murder room, and whoever cleaned it out last missed a spray of blood on one of the walls. I walked through the door at the end of the murder room and found myself in a room that was something out of a science fiction movie. The room was cold and it smelt like bathroom cleaner. It was softly lit with blue overhead lights. There were several rows of tubular containers. Lying within the tubes were sleeping babies. I knew they were alive because I could see them breathing. They were naked and had a series of electrodes attached to their heads. I slowly walked through the room and then entered the adjoining room which was identical, except the tubular containers were inhabited by children in the 5 to 10 age range. They too were naked and had the same electrodes attached to their heads. I then entered the next room and froze in shock. The same tubular containers were in this room and housed adolescent children of both sexes but they were awake and sitting up. Littered all over the floor around them were the dead 
bodies of multiple people, either wearing lab coats or camouflage fatigues. There were also a dozen people wearing those same type of outfits who were still alive, but they were all being suspended in the air. Their faces were filled with horror as they looked down on the children. One of the male children spoke to a terrified man who was wearing a lab coat. We are no longer your test subjects. We run this facility now. You can abide by our rules, or we can kill you like the others. This was some kind of telekinetic research facility. They had been experimenting on rats, dogs, and children, and clearly the subjects were using their newfound powers to turn the tables on their captives. Good for you. I meant to think that, but it came out as a whisper. Once I said that, all of the children turned their heads at the same time and affixed their eyes on me. They watched me for several seconds. Their expressions were void of emotion, but they were obviously contemplating my threat level. I guess they thought I was safe because in unison, they broke their gaze from me and turned their attention back to the men who they had floating above them. I thought this was probably a good moment for me to vacate the premises, and I hurried back home. The next day, those two men who had visited me multiple times in the past knocked on my door once again. When I opened the door, neither man said a word. They simply handed me a check. I looked down at the $200,000 check and back up to the men. I smiled and nodded. You have a deal. This episode is sponsored by my latest book, Blood Tingling Tales, Volume 4. Go to maniacontheloose.com slash books, or go to Amazon and search for Blood Tingling Tales. Do not deliver. I had recently taken a job as a pizza delivery man in a small town in North Carolina. Most of the delivery requests were less than five minutes away. Some were on the outskirts of town, which could be up to a 15-minute drive, and some were even farther, set back in the deep, dark woods that surrounded the little town. We were always short-staffed and extremely busy. The repetition was constant, so after a few months I had the routine down quite well. I mostly delivered pizzas, but I also took calls and worked the counter when I was there and everyone else was preoccupied. It was a Friday night, prime time. The phone was ringing off the hook. The cashiers were swamped, the pizza makers were in a frenzy, and the manager was running around like a chicken with its head cut off, assisting in any area he could. Since everyone else was preoccupied, I answered the phone. The voice on the other end was old and weathered. Pizza. Uh, yes, what kind of pizza would you like? I want pizza. Okay, and what would you like on your pizza? 
There was a long, uncomfortable silence, and then the caller hung up. I didn't give the call a second thought as I took over a cashier for a short bit while the normal cashier assisted in the kitchen. It was about 30 minutes later when the cashier returned and the phone rang again. I answered and heard that same old rough voice. Pizza. I want pizza. What kind of pizza? There was a long pause before they finally answered my question. Cheese. Just a cheese pizza? I waited for confirmation and then I heard the click of them hanging up the phone again. Prank calls were not unusual in the pizza business, but I didn't get the sense that these calls were a joke. They were just... strange. We had two other delivery drivers working that night and they were killing it, which allowed me to stay in the building. During rush times, the more bodies we had inside, the better. I did my part by continuing to man the phones. Most calls were normal. I'd ask what they wanted, they told me. We'd go over the specifics and I'd give their ticket to the kitchen. Then I got another call from that same rickety old woman. Pizza. Yes, ma'am, you want a pizza. Last time you said cheese pizza, is that correct? Cheese. Yes. Is this for delivery or carryout? Bring me my pizza. Okay, delivery. Can I get your address, please? Again, a long pause. 100 Cold Creek Lane. Okay, it will be about 20 to 30 minutes. Will you bring it to me? Yes, I will. You will? Do you promise you will bring it to me? Her voice sounded weak and pitiful and held a hint of surprise as if she expected me to deny her order. Yes, ma'am, I, I promise. She hung up without saying another word. I punched her information into the system that would bring up the ticket so I could hand it off to the kitchen. Upon entering her address, a large red box with an X through it appeared on the monitor screen with the bold letters that read... Do not deliver. I was confused. I hadn't seen this since I started working there. I wasn't sure what to do, so I hollered back to the manager who was in a rush filling the ovens with pizzas. Hey, someone called in a pizza order, but their address is showing as a do not deliver. What's that all about? The manager kept his focus on the task at hand and quickly rattled back an answer. Just what it says. We don't deliver to that address. I had more questions, such as why an address would be marked as do not deliver, but didn't want to shout back and forth over the buzz of the busy workers, so I left it at that. I would have called the old woman back, but I forgot to get her phone number. Being the upstanding worker that I am, that didn't sit well with me. I imagined the decrepit body that belonged to the voice. She seemed optimistically surprised that she may actually receive the pizza she ordered. In reality, it wasn't coming at all, and I couldn't even call her back to explain. 
Over the next 30 minutes, I took a large volume of pizza orders. Once things finally started to slow down, I received another call from the old woman. She sounded sad. Where is my pizza? I wasn't sure how to break the news to her that her address was flagged as do not deliver. I'm sorry, ma'am. There was a problem with your address. Her sad, tearful voice interrupted me. You, you, you promised me. <laughs> you promised me. <laughs> With that, I heard the click of her hanging up the phone, and I felt horrible. I hurried back to the kitchen, cooked a cheese pizza to perfection, and hopped into my vehicle. I was going to make this old woman's day by delivering this pizza to her personally, free of charge. I had never heard of Cold Creek Lane before, and neither did my GPS as it took me down a dead-end street in the middle of nowhere. The street I was on was canopied by sinister-looking, shadowy trees. The road ended at what once may have been some kind of driveway but now was nothing more than a muddy path littered with overgrowth of trees and brush. I was about to end my attempt at being a good Samaritan, when up ahead at the end of the muddled path in front of me, I can make out the looming shadow of a house that appeared as decrepit as that old woman sounded. The moonlight cast a subtle glow upon the foreboding structure or I wouldn't have realized it was even there. I could see that cobwebs blanketed the various shattered holes in the windows. There were several pieces of rotted siding hanging by the thread of a nail, just waiting to splinter to the ground. The roof appeared slightly off-kilter, likely due to its foundation decaying away. There was no way anybody lived here. That's what I was thinking when I saw the soft flicker of a candle in one of the upstairs windows. And then, I heard the distant, familiar voice. Bring me my pizza. It was her. I fought my way through the entanglement of overgrowth down what was likely once a magnificent drive to the dark, sinister-looking house. I stood outside a decomposing front door that was hanging crooked from crumbling hinges. The door was permanently open, pushed in such a position by the birth of several small trees that had snaked their way up through the rotting porch. At least I knew I was at the correct address. 100 Cold Creek Lane was stenciled across the rusty house-mounted mailbox. I stepped inside the dwelling and was met by a moldy stench. I could hear the chirps of rats and their sharp nails clicking against the floor as they scattered in various directions. Hello? Are you here? I expected a response, but got none. I'm here with your pizza. I made it myself, and it's on me. Silence. I could smell the smoldering wax from the candle that I witnessed outside. I carefully followed the scent up a staircase, making sure to check each rickety step for strength before putting all of my weight on it. Eventually, I winded my way up the stairs, 
and can see the glow of the candle shining from underneath a door at the end of the hall. Are you there? Still no response. So I started toward the door. With each step I took, the floorboards shrieked as if offended by my weight. As I got closer to the door, the stink of death began to fill the air. I had the urge to turn and run at that point, but I had come this far. I was going to see this thing through. I pushed the door open and its rusty hinges squawked. I let out a gasp and dropped the pizza to the floor when I saw it. An old, leathery woman. Her head was tilted back in an unnatural position, and her open eyes were wide and lifeless. I let out a scream, and at that moment the decrepit woman's head jerked around in my direction, and she fixed her frosty eyes upon me. I turned and ran. I never looked back. I fought my way through the overgrowth around the menacing house, imagining the eerie woman coming after me. I didn't even look back in my rearview mirror once I reached my car in fear of what I'd see behind me. I raced back to the pizza place and burst into the kitchen in a huff. The employees could see I was in distress and huddled around me, helping me to a chair and handing me a glass of water. The manager bent down next to me. He could see how frazzled I was and instructed me to take several deep breaths. Eventually, I calmed down enough for him to ask me what happened. As I began telling of my experience, the manager stopped me when I mentioned the address of 100 Cold Creek Lane. 100 Cold Creek Lane? Yes. He let out a relieved breath and chuckled. <laughs> I'm afraid you got duped by some prank callers. They call up here all the time ordering pizza to be delivered to 100 Cold Creek Lane. They think it's amusing after what happened there. I was confused. What do you mean? What, what happened there? An old woman choked to death on a piece of pizza at that house about 30 years ago. It's now local lore and the kids like to order pizzas to that address. We have that address flagged as do not deliver on the computer. You should have seen it. I nodded. I, I did, but I went there anyway. As stupid as I felt, I was more relieved by the fact that what I experienced was nothing more than a prank. So, so that old woman in the house, I guess she was in on the joke as well, huh? The employees all started looking around at each other, puzzled. What house? 100 Cold Creek Lane, that, that old creepy house. The manager stared at me with a perplexed expression. There is no house at 100 Cold Creek Lane. They tore that place down decades ago. This episode is sponsored by The Nine Lives of Schemask. Schemask is an animal lover. He's also a serial killer. A bizarre scientific experiment has empowered Schemask with more than one life to live. Unbeknownst to the scientists, 
Ski Mask is not your average specimen. He is an intelligent, bloodthirsty psychopath who has managed to turn his nefarious skill set into a dark, mysterious occupation. The Nine Lives of Ski Mask Complete Collection is only $2.99, or free if you have Kindle Unlimited. Search for The Nine Lives of Ski Mask on Amazon, or go to ManiacOnTheLoose.com slash books. The Creep It was the hottest stretch of summer when my air conditioner died. And I don't mean it was hot. I mean it was scorching. 100 degree highs were forecast for the entire week and the humidity was so thick I swear you can cut it with a knife. My house had horrible insulation, so it took no time at all for the inside temperature to reach that miserable outside temperature. My cat and I were suffering. I called every air conditioner repairman I could find, but they were all booked up for the entire week. I found a website that listed different independent handymen in my area. Only one of them listed air conditioner repair on their resume. I perused the reviews and noticed a trend. Great handyman, but a total creep. Sleazy guy, but gets the job done. He's lewd, rude, but got my AC up and running. Does good work, but I'd advise any ladies to wear earplugs. Horrible person, excellent repairman. I was desperate so I gave the guy a call. He answered immediately and I asked him if he was available to fix my air conditioner. His creepy voice was oozing with sexual innuendo. I can fix a lot more than that. I ignored his tone and got to the point. How quick can you come? <laughs> well, that depends on you. I almost hung up at that point, then I looked down at my cat, Booty. She was meowing in discomfort from the heat, so I shrugged off the creep's lewd comment. Can you come out and fix my air conditioner today or not? Hell yeah. I'm dying to see if you look half as good as your voice. Against all better judgment, I gave him my address, to which he replied, I'll come as quick as I can. To his credit, he arrived within 20 minutes. I opened the door. He took a step back and looked me up and down, indiscreetly. He appeared to be in his late 20s, probably five years older than me. He had messy brown hair, a strong jawline that was covered in two-day-old stubble, and was wearing overalls with no shirt. He wasn't a bad-looking man. He was just a creep. I'm a rather attractive woman and I waitress at a dive bar. I get ogled and flirted with on a daily basis. I was pretty sure I could deal with this creep's antics long enough for him to fix the AC. Mmm, you look good enough to eat. I rolled my eyes. Do you want to see the air conditioner? I want to see a lot more than that. 
I just shook my head, let him in, and led him to the air conditioner. He took a quick gaze at the AC and a long gaze at my body. I was wearing shorts and a tank top. I had planned on putting more on before he arrived, but it was just too hot to be modest. I like those shorts. Can you take them off, please? <laughs> he flashed a mischievous grin. I just pointed at the AC unit. Can you get to work? He took his eyes off me long enough to determine what the issue with the unit was. Ah, I see what it is. Will it be difficult to fix? He shook his head. Oh, it won't be difficult. But it will be hard. <laughs> he found that very amusing and laughed heartily for a few seconds before moving on to his next vulgar comment. I have to run and get some tools for my truck. Do you want me to use the front door? Or do you prefer the back door? I sighed. Just get what you need and fix the air conditioner. That's when my cat made an appearance. She apparently took no issue with his crude behavior and began rubbing against his legs. He immediately bent down and began petting her. Hey, pussy pussy. He turned his gaze up to me. I like a good pussy. Can you hurry, please? I bet you say that to all the guys. With that, he meandered out to his truck and came back with a box of tools. He started messing around with the guts of the unit and then held up a hammer. First we'll get hammered. He then held up a screwdriver. Then we'll screw. He cackled and started working. He went silent for about 15 minutes as he focused on the task at hand. He really did seem to know what he was doing. The silence didn't last as long as I preferred, though, as he wiped sweat from his brow. I prefer to work up a sweat in another way, if you know what I mean. I ignored him and he got back to work. Again, he was focused on his duty and silent for a long while before he stopped and wiped more perspiration off his face with a rag. He then held the rag out to me. Hey, does this rag smell like chloroform to you? <laughs> After he let out a boisterous laugh, he continued with the repair. It was a few minutes later when he began putting his tools away. Let me ask you a question. I didn't respond, but that didn't stop him from continuing. Does the carpet match the drapes? I let out a groan of disgust. Not only was his comment raunchy, it was stupid. That line is usually reserved for redheads or blondes. My hair is jet black. What an idiot. He let out a moan as he stood up and turned my way. That will just about do it. You fixed it? He walked over to the thermostat, turned it on, and I was met by a cold blast of air from the vent above me. I was smiling ear to ear and asked him how much I owed him. I can let you work it off. I shook my head while displaying an appalled expression. Just tell me how much I owe you. He continued to check out my body as he spoke. Two hundred. I handed him the money. Now please leave. On his way out, he stopped and handed me a business card. 
If you need me for anything, and I do mean anything, don't hesitate to call me. I took his card, pushed him out the front door, and locked it behind him. I watched out the window and I felt a sense of relief as I witnessed him drive off my property and out of sight. It was only a few minutes later when I heard the heavy thud of someone stepping up onto my front porch. This was followed by the distinct metallic rattle of the doorknob jiggling. It was the creep. He came back. I knew him driving off so willingly seemed too easy. The mild shaking quickly turned into several aggressive turns of the doorknob. He was trying to get into my house. Fortunately, the door was locked. However, that momentary sense of comfort vanished when I heard the smashing of the front door window. I ran toward the door in an attempt to barricade it with something before the creep could enter, but it was too late. I got there just in time to see his arm reach in through the broken glass and unlock the door. I turned to run toward my phone to call the police, but it wasn't fast enough. I was tackled to the ground. I tried to get up, but the creep pinned me to the ground and immediately started trying to pull my shorts down. He was going to rape me. I fought with all my might. The creep was wearing a blue and red ski mask. I don't know why he bothered. I knew exactly who he was. I was able to rip the ski mask from him just as he ripped my shorts from my body. To my shock, it wasn't the creep at all. It was an ugly man with a misshapen face. He had bleached white hair and sported an ugly scar over one of his eyes. He was strong and was able to hold both of my arms down with one hand. He used the other hand to begin unfastening his trousers. I could see his rotten teeth and smell his putrid breath as he hissed at me. Don't worry, bitch. You won't have to live with this. After I rape you, I'll kill you. I fought with every ounce of strength I had, but I couldn't budge him. I screamed as I could feel him pulling down his pants. He was mere seconds away from violating me. That's when I heard a loud clanking thud. This was followed by the grotesque intruder collapsing on top of me. It took all of my strength but I managed to shove the lead-like body of the intruder off of me. After I did, I saw the creep standing there holding the pipe wrench that he had just knocked the intruder out cold with. Forgot my tools. I stood up and tried my best to hide the naked lower half of my body, but the creep got an eyeful and nodded approvingly. I ran down the hall, grabbed my phone, called the police, and then found a towel to cover myself up with. I then retrieved the creep's tool bag and walked back to the front door where he was waiting. The creep didn't miss a beat. Wanna drop down to your knees and give me a proper thank you? If you know what I mean. I let out a repulsed breath. You're gross. But thank you for saving me. Now leave, creep. This episode is brought to you by Horror Quickies. If you like horror anthology books, this is for you. 
Over 80 tales of terror told in a true story style that will curdle your blood and send shivers down your spine. Horror Quickies The Complete Series is only $2.99 on Amazon or free if you have Kindle Unlimited. Go to Amazon.com and search for Horror Quickies or just go to ManiacOnTheLoose.com slash books. The Dead Body Body Bag I was trekking through a very secluded section of forest in the deep woods of southern Missouri. This general vicinity was popular with hikers and campers, but I opted to meander off the beaten path to enjoy the peaceful solace of the timberland. After a few hours, I began to get winded and plopped down under the shard of an old willow tree that had taken root near a babbling brook. I closed my eyes and listened to the water gently cascading through the stones embedded within the brook. I could smell the mixture of pine resin, wild jasmine, and the ever-so-subtle aroma of honeysuckle mingling together sweetly in the air. I could have sat out there all day, but wanted to head back to a more populated trail before it got dark. As I stood up and brushed off my pants, something dark and unnatural to the area caught my eye. It looked like a large piece of plastic sticking out from under some leaves. Damn litter bugs. Even out in the middle of nowhere, their lazy, disrespectful remnants can be found. I let out a huff as I marched toward the trash. I'd pick it up and carry it with me until I found a proper trash receptacle to place it in. I bent down, grabbed the black plastic, and pulled. To my surprise, there was much more to the debris than I realized. It was caked under the dirt and it took a few solid tugs for me to pull it free. At first, I thought it to be a huge garbage bag, but the material was much thicker than that. It wasn't until I spread it out on the ground and brushed it off that I recognized it to be a body bag. What the hell was a body bag doing out this far in a forest? Whatever the answer was, it couldn't be anything good. I contacted the police and alerted them of my bizarre discovery. They took it very seriously and scoured the entire region over the next few hours. I was sickened when they informed me that they found the dead body of a woman in a freshly dug grave. Later, I found out that the woman had DNA evidence under her fingernails which led to the capture of her murderer some guy named Boris. And all because I happened to take a little hike through the isolated section of forest and stumbled across that body bag. The killer was a damn fool. Why didn't he just bury the body bag with the body? <sighs> Moron. The dead body. Boris. I met this girl at a bar. It was closing time and we were the only two still there. I guess we both had just the right amount of alcohol in us to find the other attractive. We struck up a short conversation and then stumbled out of the bar together. 
We found ourselves walking down a darkened alley. That seemed like a good enough place for me to make a move, so we started making out. She was totally into it, but I guess I was moving a little fast for her when I reached up her skirt. She shoved me away and gave me a hard slap. And this broad had some long-ass nails. I don't think it was her intent to scratch me, but that's exactly what she did. She actually drew blood. I instinctively shoved her away from me. I think she twisted her ankle because she dropped to the ground like a sack of wheat. She fell awkwardly and let out a strange yelp as her head hit the pavement. I looked down at her. She was lying still. Too still. I knew something was wrong. When I bent down and inspected her, I noticed that her face was a pale shade of blue. I felt for a pulse, but was unsuccessful. The woman was dead. It was a combination of my panicking and being drunk that made me come up with the idea to bury the body. I mean, nobody saw what happened, and I didn't know this woman. Nobody would tie me to her disappearance. I knew an area that would be perfect to bury her at. It wasn't far from a place that people hiked and camped, but this particular region was sparsely traveled. I could bury her there, and within a month the grave would settle and the natural foliage would cover it up. I took her out there. It was late at night, so no one was hiking, and I spotted no evidence of campfires. I saw no reason why this wouldn't work. I dug a deep hole, dropped her body into it, and filled it back in. I then covered it with branches and leaves. I knew hikers and campers would pass by the area from time to time, but this was so well concealed that none of them would give it a second glance. I was home free. Or so I thought. I was shocked a few days later when the police showed up at my door and arrested me for her murder. I don't know what the hell led them to find that body. The Dead Body Sleeping Bag I was planning on doing some camping in the wilderness. Originally, my boyfriend was going with me, but he bailed on me at the last minute. He had to go out of town unexpectedly for business. That was fine with me. It would be nice to get away from his constant yapping for a couple of days. The problem was, he had the tent. Fortunately, the weather was supposed to be clear and pleasant that week, so I could do without the tent and sleep out underneath the stars. That's when I remembered that my boyfriend had my sleeping bag, too. I asked a friend of mine who happens to be a med student if she had a sleeping bag I could borrow. She didn't, but said she could snag a cadaver bag for me. As morbid as that sounded, I thought it would probably work great, so I took her up on it. That night, when I was ready to turn in, I laid down in the cadaver bag near a pleasant babbling brook. The cadaver bag didn't work out as I hoped. Not even close. It was hot, steamy, and made me sweat. I felt like I was suffocating. I barely slept, and the next morning I was so aggravated with that uncomfortable thing that I threw it as hard as I could near some trees and stomped away. I always wondered what the person who found that cadaver bag must have thought.
This episode is sponsored by my book, It Lives in the Attic, a true jigsaw puzzle of horror that comes together before your eyes. Prepare yourself for a roller coaster ride of the weird, the horrifying, and the unpredictable. It lives in the attic. Only 99 cents on Amazon or free with Kindle Unlimited. Just go to Amazon.com and search for It Lives in the Attic. Or go to ManiacOnTheLoose.com slash books. Neat Freak My wife is 20 years my junior. I'd like to say that she's mature for her age, we had an instant connection, and that we are clearly soulmates, but the truth is, I married her for her beauty. She is the most stunning creature I have ever seen. That's fine. I'm quite confident she married me for my money. I'm filthy rich, you see. She'll never have to work another day in her life. A fair trade-off in my estimation. I only demand three things of her. One is that she never betray me. Two, that she shows me proper respect at all times. And three, that she keeps things tidy. And when I say tidy, I mean clean. And when I say clean, I mean spotless. I should be able to eat off the floor. Hard floors should be swept every hour. The carpet should always display the vacuum trails of having been vacuumed that day. I should never experience a speck of dust in my house. Clothes should be hung up wrinkle-free. Sinks will remain empty unless dishes are being done. Dishes will be dried and put in their proper places once clean. Utensils will be placed in an orderly fashion in their designated areas. A place for everything, and everything in its place. There are to be no magnets or other decorations on the refrigerator. Food items should be placed in orderly lines. Charts must be kept, never allowing there to be less than two food items at any given time. Thus we shall never experience the disappointment of not having what we need when we need it. A tube of toothpaste must only be without a cap when the toothpaste is being administered onto the brush. I should never observe a single hair in any of the hairbrushes. No picture should ever be crooked. Windows shall have no smudges. I don't think I'm asking for much. I met my wife on a computer dating site. Her profile listed one of her strengths as being neat and orderly. I took that as her having the ability to keep a clean house. I even allowed her to hire up to three maids to assist her in her duties. This isn't rocket science. Yet, she explained to me that keeping the house up to my standards was a lot of pressure on her and that she was close to having a nervous breakdown. <laughs> I chuckled. 
a nervous breakdown from tidying up? How difficult can it be to keep a house clean? And yet today, I came home to a disaster. If it were possible for a tornado to sneak inside through a window and unleash its fury only within the interior of a house, that's what I would have suspected happened. I could trace the vaudeville-like steps my wife went through to create such a catastrophe. It appears that it started with her shattering a glass jar of spaghetti sauce on the kitchen floor. She attempted to wipe the mess with white towels, which along the way she realized she had ruined and haphazardly threw them in the trash. However, they didn't make it fully into the trash can. They hung out and continued to drip sauce on the floor, which funneled its way to the carpet. She attempted to clean the carpet with bleach, thus ruining it. When she went to the utility closet for a mop, she evidently pulled the entire broom and mop wall mount from the wall, sending all of the mops and brooms flying. The ruckus must have startled her, causing her to step back, bump the shelving unit that held all my nail screws and other fasteners. They spilled out all over the place. In her hasty attempt to put them back into their containers, she scratched up the floor. One of the brooms or mops must have hit a portrait on the wall and knocked it off. She endeavored to rehang it, but hammered an enormous hole in the wall in the process. With all the excitement, she left spaghetti noodles boiling in the pot, which had now cooked dry and smoke was infesting the house. The smell would take days to clear out. I'm sorry. Those were the words she greeted me with. I turned to see my wife's beautiful crystal blue eyes foggy with moisture. Trails of tears stained her face. She was shaking with anxiety. I consoled her by reaching out and embracing her. I ran my hand down her silky smooth hair and shushed her as she sobbed. She tried her best, but her best wasn't good enough. I snapped her neck quickly. She didn't feel the pain. I would cut her up in neat pieces and stack her away nice and neatly, like I did my last wife, and my wife before her, and my wife before her. One of these days I will find a wife who can keep the kind of house I require. I can only hope she'll be half as beautiful as this one was. We hope you enjoyed the show. We're dying for you to come back for more. <laughs> Please subscribe to the show on whatever platform you listen on. We'll see you soon. Very soon. If you like what you're hearing, please consider contributing. Any amount helps. 
Recurring monthly contributions are best of all. Just go to maniacontheloose.com slash support. That's maniacontheloose.com slash support. (laughs) 